Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Battle Red Nation, to another installment of Locked On Texans, your daily podcast covering your favorite team every single day. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, along with my partner in crime. John, some sports guy Hickman, ready to talk about what's popping in the news with the Texans right now, a hot topic. So, of course, we're going to talk about that along with crossover. This is our last crossover. The fun has been, you know, tremendous. A lot of electricity, uh, a lot of very good common talk. And so, hate to see it end, but... But we're going to talk with Locked On Jags today to discuss what they have going on out there in Jacksonville. Cody, let's get right into it, if you don't mind. Kenny Stills was arrested yesterday for peacefully protesting in Kentucky outside of the home of Daniel Cameron, uh, demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. Excuse me. This is all before a few days before training camp. We are honestly looking to see what is Kenny Stills going to be able to bring here to Houston and by no means is this a distraction, but will it be used against him as one, uh, as a reason of if we want to move on or not? But more importantly, before we even answer that, you know, why was he arrested? Well, the story goes something about the DA asked the protesters to move off his property. They didn't. He called the police, and I think it was 80-something people getting arrested, which is bogus because... The officers who killed Breonna Taylor is still free. So you're telling me I can participate in a peaceful protest, get arrested. But if I go out as a police officer and kill an unarmed African-American woman who is laying in her house sleep, I can still live my life. Hmm, yeah, that lets you know what type of country we live in. But back to your original question. No, I do not think this is going to be used as a distraction towards Kenny Stills, nor do I think it'd be used for the Texans to move on from Kenny Stills. One, I do believe if by any chance they do use this as an attempt to move on for him, then the organization himself will look very bad, especially during the times that we are living in. And Deshaun Watson said it last week when he was a guest on Carmelo's Anthony YouTube show that, you know, he and a lot of other of the Texans teammates want to sit down and talk to every member of this organization, including the owners, to see what side are they on. Are they on the side that they're on fighting for the social injustice, or are they on the side by saying, this doesn't affect me, this doesn't affect my people, so why should I worry? So that's why I don't think it's going to be a distraction. And then at the end of the day, once again, given the state of this country right now, given the times that we are living in, it's not going to be looked at as a distraction towards Kenny Stills because if anything, it's just going to show more support and more love towards him for standing up for what is right. And I mean, hell, we saw it all day on social media from black people, white people, the Hispanic community, no matter what the community was, people was out, actually out there showing support on social media for Kenny Stills. So no, I do not think there's going to be a distraction. Absolutely. All right. I agree with you 100% because, you know, the Houston Texans, Janice McNair, Travis Johnson, the organization came together to create the conversation of change, which is being hosted. You can check that out on their web on their website. And so once everything started to come out in the last few months, this has been a crazy year, right? 
with sports, without sports, but in the world, in this country, it's been pretty crazy. And in the last few months, we we know what's going on. It's well documented. The Texans with Bill O'Brien, the players, you know, at the time, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, who has, you know, constantly spoke out. Kenny Steels, who's been doing this since 2016 peacefully. You know, they have all come together to show support with a, uh, a front office and organization that came out with statements to back their players in, back the, 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 to be on the good side of the fight, so to speak. And so, no, it won't be used against them. I think he'll get a fair shot. And like you said, I think it'll be pretty, uh, I think I would call it a dumb move to move on because you really need to know what you have with this entire receiving core. And Kenny Steels brings a, a player that's been in this system before coming into his second year, reliability. So, no, he won't be moved on from, especially not because of this. And, again, he only got arrested for doing what's right. That's the story. And we are back for the final installment of our Ultimate Division crossover series here with the host of the Locked On podcast from the AFC South. I am the host of the Locked On Titans podcast, Tyler Rowland, here with the host of the Locked On Colts podcast, Evan Sidery, host of the Locked On Texans podcast, John Hickman, and then, of course, the host of the Locked On Jaguars podcast, Tony Wiggins. We are going to get into some questions here in just a second. First, I want to thank all of the listeners from all of the different shows here from the AFC South podcast for enjoying this week of the Ultimate Division Crossover Series with us. We always enjoy doing this together. I want to thank the hosts that are here with me, Evan, John, and Tony, for joining me on this journey. It's always fun to get all of the guys together and have a, a good conversation about all of our teams. If you do want to find all of us on social media, of course, subscribe to all of the podcasts, your favorite team's podcasts, of course. You can find me on Twitter, though, at Tic Tac Titans. Evan, where can the people find you? At Locked On Colts, if you have not already followed over there. Awesome, awesome. John, where can people find you and Cody for the Locked On Texans? At Locked On Texans on Twitter. Awesome. And Tony, I am going to kick things off with a question to you. You tell us where they can find you on Twitter to open it off. But for my question, right now, do you think that the Jags are going to try to to maybe tank in some way to, to get a top pick? Or do you think that they're going to try to put the pieces they've put together uh, in a position to win and, and maybe try to surprise some folks? All right, so I can, you can find me at Locked On Jaguars. Uh, I'll answer that question in just a second, but I'll say this because, you know, our fans can be really honorary and petty. So I'm going to say thank you to the hosts and thank you to all the fans for listening all week except for Titan fans. They don't care whether you listen or not. How about that? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no. We, co- we couldn't make it all week without a little heat, man. I, I know I can count on you, Tony. There you go. Yeah, but in, in terms of tanking, this is one of the things I've said for a long time. I don't know how you do that. And what I mean by that is if you're Doug Marone, if you're Dave Caldwell, you've had all of this heat, how can you tank? If you're if you're uh, Gardner Minshew, who has the, the, the keys to the car, you're going to tank for them to take Trevor Lawrence? What about if you're just a player like Leonard Fournette or whoever that's in the last year of his contract? How do you go put out bad tape? to justify you getting a contract or getting a shot for another team. So there's just too many, too many elements and too many different variables to tanking. And then we just we, – we forget about this part of it too. 
these guys didn't make it to the NFL without being totally competitive and, and, and almost narcissistic in a way. At some point, every one of these players was the best player in high school and one of the two or three best players on their college team. You don't get to that level of being an alpha by not giving it everything that you have. So I don't know how the dynamics of tanking works. I do know maybe you can do it in boxing. You can't do it in the NFL. It takes too many people to do it. I think overall with this team heading into 2020, Tony, I wanted to hit on Gardner Minshew because I think he's one of the more interesting young quarterbacks. And, of course, if the Jaguars do finish with a top three pick, maybe this is his last year starting. But he did very well for himself last year for Nick Foles went down week one. And he's a very accurate quarterback, especially on deep balls. Do you think there's a, a possibility that Minshew could be the future there in Jacksonville? I think he's kind of the bridge to maybe, like we talked about in the further episode the, earlier, earlier this week, maybe it's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. I think there is a possibility because um, if you're Gardner Minshew, you're playing with house money. You were Two years ago, you were at like Coastal Carolina or somewhere, and then you were headed to Alabama to be the GA uh, with Nick Saban. And then you get a call from Mike Leach to come out and compete, and then a guy gets hurt, and you ended up doing what you're doing. Now you're a six-round pick. Put it to, I'll put it to you this way, Evan. If he was a second-round pick and he'd thrown for 21 touchdowns and six picks and had a 6-6 six and six record as a starter on this team with all of the Jalen Ramsey stuff, all of the trades, all of the – you know, they had some injuries in some, in some key spots. What, I mean, that, nobody's talking – he won Rookie of the Week seven times, okay, and didn't even get consideration for Rookie of the Year. And nobody else won – nobody else came even close to that. At some point, we're going to have to get past the fact that this dude was a six-round pick. At some point, people are going to have to get past the fact that he's pop culture, uh, sort of like icon, if you will, especially around here with the way that he looks and the way that he talks. And we have to look at the nuts and bolts of who he is as a football player and the things that I mentioned about his record and how he performed. You can accidentally show up. You can Jeremy Lin for one week. You can't do it in the NFL for 12 weeks at 21 and six in terms of touchdown and interceptions. It just doesn't happen. At some point, we have to realize that this kid deserves and has earned a legitimate shot to be the starting quarterback for this football team. You know, Evan kind of stole my question there, but I'm going to look at Gardner Minshew and the entire uh, second-year players. How do you feel about the progression so far of the second-year players? We, we just mentioned Gardner Minshew, Josh Allen, for one, Jawan Taylor, and I love Josh Allen, by the way, and Jawan Taylor, how do you feel about this progression of those second-year players? Well, I feel good about them, and I tell you what, it's almost as if it's a shame um, because they're not going to have the opportunity to be second-year players. Gardner Minshew is the quarterback, is the leader of this offense, and by, by that, the very nature of that, he's the leader of this football team. Josh Allen, now that Calais Campbell is gone, along with the newly acquired middle linebacker and Joe Schobert, Josh Allen is the leader of this, this defense because Yannick Ngakwe is holding out and might not be here. And even if he comes in, the nature of his relationship with the team might not lend him to be a leader in the locker room. And Josh Allen played 60% of the snaps and had 10.5 sacks last year. And, you know, that's something else the staff has to figure out. That can't happen. If he's that good, he needs to be out on the field. He needs to be just like Nick Bosa was in San Francisco. He needs to be on the field more. But uh, – and Jawan Taylor, you're right, is their best offensive lineman. So – uh, it's a good thing that they hit on those draft picks. That might have been the saving grace for Dave Caldwell as well last year. But it's, a, it's almost a bad thing if, you know, if people are expecting too much of them and they're not allowed to be second-round picks. It's almost like a kid that's 15 years old and his parents go through a divorce 
and now you got to step up and you got to be more than just a 15 year old kid. You actually have to get a part time job to make sure you keep food on the table. While that's an admirable thing to do, it's not ideal in terms of the development of the football player. I have a question for you about Yannick Ngakwe. So we've obviously seen his story kind of carry out throughout the offseason. My question is when you have somebody like a Caleb on chase on who's a rookie, and then you have a Yannick Ngakwe who doesn't appear to want to be a part of the future. I mean, maybe he'll play this year on the franchise tag, maybe, but even then he probably won't be on the team next year. How do you balance wanting to get reps for someone like Caleb on chase on in the pass rush and then having someone like Yannick Ngakwe, who's probably the better player, of course, at this moment in time, how do you balance having those two guys out on the field and making sure that you're developing somebody who you want to be a piece of your future versus a better player who, you know, won't be a part of your future. That's a great question. And Yann is people wonder why I, I've sort of taken up for him more than I, you know, I, I know him, he, you know, a little bit, he's, been very, very respectful. We got a little bit of a connection because the fact that he grew up where I grew up, a part of my life in right outside of Washington, D.C. in PG County. So we had that, you know, little connection. And, you know, when a guy comes in and he's a rookie and you talk to him, it's good that he sees somebody that's familiar with uh, where he grew up. But that being aside, let me give you a little bit of background. They picked Dante Fowler in the first round, top five pick. He got hurt. The next year they picked Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe played better than Dante Fowler in training camp. The first game at home, they announced 12 starters. They announced both Ngakwe and Fowler. Ngakwe runs on the field. They call him back, send Fowler out, and Ngakwe got pissed on the sideline. All right? Ngakwe outplays Fowler, and he outworks him, and he outprepares him, and everyone knows it, and everyone's kind of under their breath saying, Dante needs to be more like him, and he get 38 and a half sacks in four years. Then when you become a free agent, they're still holding these other things against you. The same thing I said about Minshew. You need to forget that he's a six-round pick. They're saying, Don, they're saying Yannick is a 6'2", 245 pounds, and that's, that's not – you know, he, he reminds me of Mathis, who played opposite Freeney up in Robert Mathis. That's what he reminds me of. And you can keep talking about his size all you want to. You can talk about his value all you want to. Bottom line is 38 and a half sacks. They doesn't grow on trees. And it also doesn't grow on trees to a guy who shows up early and leaves late. And, and what else doesn't grow on trees is the fact that the guy probably hasn't eaten a cheeseburger or a chicken wing since he's been here. All he does is work. At some point, at some point as an organization who wants to win, you have to reward guys like that. And you have to start forgetting about all of these measurables and you have to forget about all the analytics and just give it to him based on the fact and, and send a message to your team. That's the kind of guy that we want. We're going to move on here into the second segment of our show with Tony talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars heading into the 2020 season. Before we do so, I want to remind you guys, if you're not already, to subscribe to not only Locked on Jaguars, but also Locked on Colts, Locked on Titans, Locked on Texas, all of our AFC South podcasts here. As you give you guys our ultimate division crossover, we're wrapping up this week. Go ahead and whatever stream platform you're listening to us on, subscribe to all of our shows, Locked on Colts, Locked on Jags, Locked on Titans, and Locked on Texas. We'll be back to you guys in just a second to wrap up the show talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Getting into the second part of our conversation here with Tony Wiggins from the Locked On Jaguars podcast to round out 
our week of the Ultimate Division crossover series here. And, Tony, my first question for you to kind of kick things off in the second portion of our show is about the other first-round rookie you have there in C.J. Henderson. Obviously, the secondary in Jacksonville has uh, been – overhauled quite a bit from the uh, talented team we saw in 2017. What do you think C.J. Henderson can do to try to get the secondary back to those sort of levels? I think what he gives them is what they lost when they traded Jalen Ramsey. And and they're they're not really the same type of player. Jalen is extremely physical and obviously ran track at Florida State and he could run. Well, C.J. Henderson is almost like an offensive player playing defense. He's physical. He runs like the wind. And he gives them that athleticism to show you how people tend to forget some of the things that they say. One of the reasons that people said you trade Jalen Rams is because, okay, you don't need a franchise corner. You don't need to go out and, and draft a guy. I used to say, why did you draft him then at, at number five? And then four years later say, well, you don't need a franchise corner. And then people turned right around and said that that's not what you need. And what did they do at the ninth pick? They drafted another corner. Anytime you draft a guy in the top 10, you hope he's a franchise player. I think he gives them athleticism, and I think in a league that throws the ball around a lot at the end of the day, even if he technically has some work that he needs to do, he just gives you a guy that can run with people. And, and he'll give you a guy that if he can get his hands on the ball, he can take it the other way if he has to. With this draft class you put together with C.J. Henderson, Caleb on Chase, on LaVisca, Shane all as well, who I think could really have a good future there in Jacksonville. This all ties into the Jalen Ramsey trade, in my opinion, from last year, where, of course, Ramsey forced his way out of Jacksonville, went to L.A. The pick he used from the Ramsey trade in 2020 was with Caleb on Chase. And, of course, you have a 2021 first-round pick as well. Looking back on now, about six-plus months later, Tony, how do you feel like that Ramsey situation went? Do you think the Jaguars are better off now? Um, They're better off because he got to the point where he didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, And most people attributed that to Tom Coughlin. And that stuff can really tear up your locker room. And there are a lot of people that thought Jalen wanted bigger and better things in terms of being in a market that, you know, would bear his, um, you know, pocketbooks even better. So from that point, yeah, they're cool. But th- look, this is what Jacksonville has to do. They have to get to the point where they stop replacing and start building on the foundation that they set. Uh, if, if you look back, um, they, they drafted Leonard Fournette at number four. They already – planning on replacing it. They spent a lot of money on Malik Jackson a few years ago, and then they draft Taven Bryant at 29 in 2018 when Lamar Jackson sitting right there and went two picks later, and they had Blake Bortles as their starter. So now they, they're replacing Taven Bryant. They're replacing Malik Jackson with Taven Bryant. You trade Jalen Ramsey, now you're replacing him with C.J. Henderson. You, you might lose a Yannick Ngakwe, so now you're going to replace him with Kalevion Chason. At some point, if you don't have these building blocks and then add at other positions – and instead of just having four great players, now you have 12, sort of the way Seattle did it, Dallas did it, and the way a lot of these other teams, Kansas City did it. At some point, it's not about cherry-picking guys that can play. They're going to have a lot of guys that left this team that can play, and they're playing for other people. It's about team building. And until you get to the point where you're team building, instead of every three years replacing your foundation, you're never going to ever get any better. Hey, Wig, I had a quick question. Earlier in the week, you know, your uh, rookie wide receiver, um, LaVisca Chenault Jr., uh-huh. uh, who signed his contract with Jacksonville Jaguars, 
Uh, he's picked 42nd overall. He was just out there playing around early in the week, you know, just doing a lot of different things outside of, you know, what he possibly should be doing when it comes to quarantining and the possibility of having an NFL season or not. My question is, are the Jags an organization to look to right now with confidence on how they're handling the COVID-19 situation? I think they are. They've, they've uh, I will give them credit. They were the first team to wear Black Lives Matter shirts as a team, as an organization. They were the first team. Uh, they marched to the police station. They had the players involved. And they not only they had not only the players management, and then they had the actual police involved too. Of one of the guys they had involved was a former Jaguar who played here, a wide receiver for the Jags for a long time. And it went very, very peaceful. Leonard Fournette got with the mayor. And uh, the mayor and, and Lil Duval, shout out to Lil Duval and Rich Broke, you know, that's that's our boy. They they had a, a rally with fans. They were they they really took the lead and didn't wait for the NFL to do a lot of things. Uh, so in terms of that and in terms of you know, they've implemented safety precautions in quarantine. We've been zooming and uh, guys aren't allowed access. But uh, they recently announced that they're gonna only have twenty five percent capacity uh, at their, their game. So they, they've been up front with all of that stuff. But I know everybody's excited about LaVishka Chanel. But people need to be more excited about DJ Chark. DJ Chark, I'm sorry. Chark, much like A.J. Brown, with the exception of the fact that he's in his second year instead of his first, Chark was a Pro Bowl alternate who, initi- who, who eventually made the Pro Bowl. If you look at his numbers, DJ Chark is a six foot four, 215-pound superstar that runs a 4.35. We can't look past him when we're looking at these new shiny parts. DJ Chalk is the number one wide receiver on this football team, and I expect him uh, to show not only the AFC South but the rest of the league that uh, that's not by accident. Yeah, Chark, uh, uh, Chark is pretty impressive, I think, and that's one of the bright spots when you look at this Jaguars roster. One thing I do want to say real quick before I throw my question to you, Wig, is if you have not heard yet, please go check out the Black Lives Matter roundtable done by the Locked On Podcast Network. It was a, a fantastic conversation that uh, our own host, you know, John and Tony were a part of, and I think both of them did a, a fantastic job telling their perspective. It was a great conversation, and if you uh, have not heard that, make sure you go back and check that out. It was on all of the national shows feeds you can find that on the feed for whatever team it is that you follow out of the AFC South I would encourage you to check out that conversation if you have not already but my question for you uh, Wig is is kind of about the bright spots here I know that not a lot of people are expecting a great season out of the Jaguars but if if they do surprise and have a competitive season what do you think the the recipe I guess as a man who knows how to cook what do you think the recipe would be for the Jaguars to have a, a better than expected season that they adapt quickly to what Jay Gruden brings to the table that Gardner Minshew continues to develop and becomes a quarterback that plays as good on schedule as he does off as he does off schedule that Leonard Fournette believe it or not in his first three years he had one year where he got hurt and he got suspended the other two years he ran for a thousand yards last year right now without even looking down at stats how many balls do you think Leonard Fournette caught last year all of you just give me a roundabout 20 Seven, I want to say 78. It was, it was over 75 catches. Wow. wow. So, so my thing, right. So my thing is he had a 200 yard game at Denver. The problem with Fournette is he's not named Mahomes. He's not named Watson. He's not named uh, McCaffrey. That's it. And that's what I keep trying to tell people. If you look at his first three years, 
he's averaged just about a thousand yards. And last year, the guy caught 70 some odd balls. I mean, so it's just amazing to me that people can act like this dude is, is like Kajana Carter or something. So I think if, and, and he's done this now for the first two years with no quarterback play and last year with a rookie, he's done this with stack boxes with a subpar offensive line. I think Leonard Fournette has a huge year this year. And I think that has to work in, in, in conjunction with Gardner Minshew and Jay Gruden being on the same page. So people can back up out of that box a little bit, but because they're so young, and I want to talk about that you too, before you guys go, but because they're so young, I think there's going to be a team that gets in a bunch of shootouts. I, you know, they're, they're going to look like the 49ers did uh, the year before last, where they're real, real competitive. They're going to look like the Colts. In fact, I, I believe the Colts of their 11 losses two years ago, they were like winning nine of them going into the fourth quarter or some crazy stuff like that. They're going to be a team that's a hard out for everybody because they're going to keep firing and keep firing and keep firing but they just may not have the experience that's required for them to win those games down the stretch. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's something that obviously we are going to watch this division. As we know from the past few years, this division can go any direction at any time. And that's why it's one of the most fun and competitive divisions in the NFL. But once again, I want to thank all of the hosts from the Locked On AFC South podcast, Evan Sidery of Locked On Colts, Tony Wiggins of Locked On Jaguars, and John Hickman from the Locked On Texans. Been another great week here of an ultimate division crossover as we head into training camp. Make sure that you are subscribed to all of the shows that we have talked about with and, and talked about and talked with throughout the week. Make sure you check out the national shows as well from the Locked On Podcast Network, the Locked On NFL Show, the Locked On NFL Draft, and the Locked On Fantasy Football for great content there as well. Follow us all on social media. Most of all, thank you to all of the listeners for another great week, and we look forward to kicking off training camp here shortly and getting into another great season of NFL football. Guys, it's been a fantastic week. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. That is going to do it for us here, the host of the AFC South Locked On Podcast. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.